Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friend. How are you today? I hope you're thinking great. I am fantastic. Thank you for virtually asking. And I have a confession to make. I almost did not do this podcast. Uh, I was very, very tempted. It is a gorgeous day outside. And even though I have hiked with my daughter and um, gotten a lot done, this is on my must-do list. And right after this, we're going to go do something really fun. Um, Not that this is not fun. This is fun for me. Uh, But uh, so we timed this so that my daughter's doing her homework while I am doing this, because this is a must-do, my friends. And as you know, if you listen to the Productivity Podcast, you know that must-dos are must-dos. They have to get done. So let's do this. We are going to talk about meetings. And um, I can't believe it's taken me this long to talk about meetings because when I look back at my career in corporate America, my least favorite thing about being an employee was going to unproductive meetings. You know, you know what I'm talking about. The kind of meetings where you're thinking, why am I here? Why are you still talking? And all the things I could be doing instead. And I'm sure that people could just feel the resentment and the impatience dripping off of me. Wasn't good. So I hope that you don't have to go to meetings like that. And if you don't, if you don't run meetings like that, if you don't attend meetings like that, then you don't have to be on this podcast. You do not have to listen. And here's the thing I love about this podcast. I am obsessed with using people's time wisely. And if you don't think there's value in this podcast, you can just stop it and leave. And I won't feel bad. I'll think, good for you. Go do something that's really meaningful to you or fold clothes, whatever you want to do. And please feel free to multitask and fold those clothes while you're listening to me. But um, I don't worry. Now, If you were in a meeting with me, trapped behind a door, um, I would take such great care. And this is what I do because I am obsessed with using people's time wisely. So if you um, already run great meetings and attend great meetings and you only want to listen in just to get validated that you're doing wonderful things, then go ahead and please stay with us. If you are like me, and like I was when I had a real job and a boss and benefits and all that stuff, um, and you think that there's some benefit to you uh, about meetings, then please hang on. So I want to share with you some of my favorite techniques, tried and true, work every time, for before, during, and at the end of the meeting. And I happen to know that my meetings usually run very well, because of the feedback that I get and the outcomes that they produce. First of all, I don't have a lot of meetings. Most of my meetings are coaching conversations. 
And I usually start those off with the question, uh, first, is this still a good time? I literally ask almost every meeting, is this still a good time for us to meet? Because if this person is hugely distracted and is thinking, oh, I just need to call Denise because it's on the calendar and it's rude if I don't, I'm not going to be any help to them. So I ask them that. And if they say, yes, I have a lot going on, but it's actually a really good time. Then I say, all right, your time is valuable. What is the most important thing we need to talk about and that you need to feel closure about or progress about before we hang up? And that causes them to think, oh my gosh, well, I got like a million things, but then they think, okay, before we hang up the phone, this is what I need. Great. And then if we get more done, we get more done. But that's how I start meetings. And some of my favorite feedback that I've ever received comes from my group coaching meetings because most people are used to having their time wasted when they're in a group. And I remember one woman said at the end of a meeting, what the hell just happened? How did you get me to open up and trust these people in just the span of a few hours? I loved that because that was my intention was to get people to open up and trust each other. And it worked because I designed everything around that intention. Uh, Another bit of feedback I received that I loved was at the end of an hour and a half group coaching call, the first of our six calls, one gentleman said, "Um, that was the fastest, most productive 90 minutes I've ever had in my career. Of course, it wasn't the fastest. It just felt the fastest. That was 90 minutes? What? How did that happen? Because it was engaging, and that does not happen on accident. I mean, I suppose it might, but it does not usually happen on accident. A little bit of an aside here, uh, a different industry, but I was um, on a website like Medium or Thrive Global, and I saw that Steve Martin, Steve Martin, the Renaissance man, also mostly known as a comedian, is giving a master class in comedy. And I just thought, oh my gosh, How brilliant. So growing up, I don't know if you all knew this about me, but I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. Now, I know there are not obvious parallels between corporate, between coaching, between comedy, but there are some non-obvious parallels. First of all, nothing is funny unless people laugh. Your meeting is not effective unless other people say it was. I just heard some research that when people are interviewed after a meeting, the one person who is usually the standout in saying that the meeting went well is the meeting leader. It doesn't count if the meeting leader thinks the meeting went well. Just like in a comedy club, it doesn't count if the comic thinks it went well, but the audience didn't laugh. So it's not in the eye of the leader of the meeting, it is in the eye of the audience. And another parallel, timing. Timing is everything. A joke will fall flat without proper timing. If a meeting is not timed well, not in just duration, that's the obvious one. Did we have enough time? Do we not have too much time for this meeting? But also, do we have enough time for each goal within the meeting? There is no right amount for a meeting but you sure know when a meeting feels like it's going too long or it wasn't long enough. Next, a meeting is not a presentation. 
should I repeat that? A meeting is not a presentation. A meeting is a conversation. A meeting engages the audience. Most comics are ready for anything. They have their content, and boy is it polished. But they know it so well that they are ready to go off script depending on what happens in the audience because reality is unpredictable. So they adapt. Now, there is one exception that comes to mind. There may be more, but uh, George Carlin. This does not go for George Carlin. He was more like a keynote speaker, and that was intentional on his part. He had every word, every sentence, every joke down to the second. He was a perfectionist in his craft. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, the people who engage the audience, who react to the audience, and make a big impact because of that natural flow. So let's talk about, not comedy, but let's talk about the phases of the meeting, which I've alluded to already. So phase one happens before you ever send out an agenda. So before the meeting, very important to be intentional. Why in the heck am I having this meeting? And would others agree with me about that reason for having the meeting? So let me tell you a bad reason to have a meeting. Well, we always have a weekly checkup on Monday mornings. Bad, 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 bad reason. Why do you always have it? What value is it producing? And you're not a good judge of the value. Ask others. Why do we need to keep having this meeting? What value are you getting out of this meeting? So if you don't get a good answer, ditch the weekly meeting. And then have it when there is a clear intention, a clear reason to have it. Every meeting should have a goal that every person in the meeting cares about and can contribute to. They might care about it, but if they can't contribute to it, they don't need to be there. You can send them the minutes afterward or somebody can fill them in. So let's, I'll give as an example my most important meeting, and that is my coaching calls with six people. I have 80 minutes. used to be 90 minutes, but now it's 80 minutes. Tell you why in a little bit. And in those calls, we are, well, they are sharing progress and helping each other get unstuck. I am the main coach using the STEER model, helping people get unstuck. And then as other people contribute, I am helping them contribute in a way that is actually coaching instead of fixing. And um, so it's about not totally conveying information. Sometimes I convey information, whether it's about an influence model or uh, presentation skills. But for the most part, these people come to me with some really great skills already, and it's their thoughts that are keeping them from tapping into this vast knowledge that they have. And sometimes they literally need some knowledge. So either I or one of their peers will convey information to them. But that is not the primary goal of the meeting. The primary goal is to help somebody make progress and feel good about the progress they've already made. So the other thing I want you to do before the meeting is to decide what a realistic, respectable time frame would be for this meeting. How long do you think you need? If you think about that whole TV show, Name That Tune, I can name that tune in three notes. So err on the side of short, 
but you're going to have to test this out. And one way you can do that is by creating your agenda and really thinking through, living through the meeting. I have developed 80 minutes and it can be a challenge. And uh, but it's all we have. We are putting down the phone at 80 minutes. So I have worked to make that happen. And now I have the muscle memory to make that work. A recent client I just talked to yesterday says he has a daily standing meeting and it is no longer than 15 minutes and it always starts promptly at nine and people get to stand for it. Now that may sound a little crazy for you, but it actually works really well in his organization. It helps everybody get aligned, know what the priorities of the day are, um, know what happened the night before in the system that may need, um, that may need attention called to it. So in a very short amount of time, the whole team is aligned and can have a much more productive day. If you miss that meeting, or if you come late to that meeting, um, it's a big deal because not politically, but you are missing important information that will help you have a productive day. So I thought that was brilliant. Another thing you can do to respect people's time is instead of starting it on the hour or half hour, start five minutes after the hour or half hour. This is why my coaching meetings are now 80 minutes long and not 90 minutes long. Easy for me to say. So I know people are back-to-back in meetings, unfortunately. I try to help people not do that, but it happens. So we have it. First of all, we all agree to the timing for the meeting. So um, it's not overlapping with a regular meeting that people have. And I always end at least five minutes before the half hour or the hour. The only time I've ever gone over is when somebody asked, hey, I, I don't have another meeting. Can I talk for a couple more minutes? I think that's happened like once in the last two years. We end on time. Uh, and standing for meetings can be great if it's a quick meeting. The other thing you want to do before a meeting is to send the agenda in advance. You are going to spend more time on your agenda than you are in the actual meeting. Because when you invest in the time to make a cogent, logical, sound agenda, it will be so worth it. I'm thinking about Mark Twain's comment, if I'd had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter. This is hard. It is hard to create a productive, quick, efficient meeting. So the more time you invest in the agenda, the better it will go. And the more time you give people to review the agenda, the better it will go. Now, is everybody going to look at your agenda? Not necessarily. But you're going to give people a chance to opt out of this meeting. If you look at this agenda and there is not a good reason for you to be in this meeting, you can bow out. Oh, and by the way, I love it when companies or organizations set rules that if a meeting does not have an agenda, nobody needs to attend. So if you can make that one of your organizational rules, I would highly recommend it. Your agenda needs to align with your intended goals. If you can't figure out what the goal for this meeting is, why are you having the meeting? And that's something you need to ask yourself. Why are we meeting? And how will we achieve that goal? That will help you fill in your agenda. And then you'll ask yourself about how long will we need to achieve this goal? So the most important meeting I have is probably my group coaching kickoff. So it's me and six other people. And it is eight hours. It used to be four hours, and now it's eight hours. 
and I take this as my sacred duty to use people's time wisely. People are flying in. They are leaving their families. They are letting a day's work of work pile up so they can come to my event. And you betcha, they are a little bit skeptical coming in because they got these five other people they may or may not know that they're supposed to be doing what with over the day. They just know there's this program. They've heard good things about it, but they don't really know what group coaching is. And um, how could they know? And everybody's group coaching is different. So how could they know what we're going to do? Before we meet, I let them know what my goals are. I have three goals in this meeting. To build trust and relationship. To build a common foundation of tools that they understand how to use and how we will be using them to achieve success in whatever their development goals are. And then I have another, a third, very important and very boring logistical goal of scheduling all of our six calls and our final in-person meeting. So that's what I want to get done in those eight hours. The reason it's now eight hours instead of four is four didn't let me do all those things, all those things. It let me do the very important thing about building trust and relationship, but then we had to use at least our first coaching call on this other logistical stuff, which was stealing from them. So even though I hated to make them spend a whole day because now they were going to have to take a later flight or an earlier flight and a later flight, I realized that it was so important to the overall value of their experience. Now, I also keep this agenda on a flip chart and I check things off as we complete them, but I don't give them the times because there is some very personal, very real stuff going on in my meetings. And I, there are sections where I would never cut somebody off. And, you know, for example, if I'm using a steer model on somebody's real life issue and it's, it's pretty emotional and um, really tightly wound around their thoughts and their emotions, I am not going to shut that down because we've gone 10 minutes. I am going to let that go as long as it needs to go, and I'm going to have items in the agenda that I can toss out and save for another meeting or that I can shorten. So know what your must-dos are in the meeting and what your nice-to-dos are in the meeting and what your eh, we'll get to it some other time. This will only happen if you spend the time and be intentional. All right, so let's talk about the beginning of a meeting. This is how I begin all my meetings. You can decide how you want to do it. But in a group, I've already told you how I check in with my clients. Is this still, how are you? Is this still a good time? What's threatening to distract you? And what do you most want to get out of this? In my group meetings, I do something similar. I do a brief check-in because everybody's head is all over the place. They are thinking about what was just happening or what's going to happen after. So again, I do a brief check-in and I ask everybody, how are you and what's threatening to distract you? And that could go on way too long unless you role model it. And it can be something as simple as, I'm a little tired and hungry and my big toe hurts and that's threatening to distract me. That took me all of 10 seconds to say, if that. So you role model it by being real and ideally by sharing something uh, personal because everybody's got something personal too. Well, I have a child at home who's sick and so that's why my phone is on in case they call me or in case the school calls me. That person just saying that is now more present. So I don't do this just because I'm curious and I'm nice. I do this because it helps people arrive. One of the other things you can help people do to arrive is 
have them all take a few deep breaths and ask them to just leave whatever happened right before this meeting at the door. They can pick it up on their way out if they want to. You don't have to call it meditation. You don't have to call it grounding or centering. You can call it whatever you want. But trust me, people will like it. People will like taking a breath, feeling their feet on the ground, and just noticing how they are and bringing their attention to the present moment and how they want to be in this present moment. And then you can do a very brief review of the meeting goals. Here is what, here's why we're here, and here's what I want to have us do by the time we leave. Now for remote meetings, which unfortunately many people have, and I don't say unfortunately, it's great that we can all meet remotely. It's unfortunate because of the way we meet remotely. People love remote meetings because they can multitask. They can tune out and you won't know. You, the meeting leader, won't know unless they call on you and you have no idea what's going on. So my group coaching meetings are all on video because nobody's in the same office. It's very rare that people are in the same office. And it doesn't, they don't have to be. So why would I force them to? So in that video, we use Zoom and no one is allowed to mute themselves. So we will know if you're, if you're muted, you are checking out. But we can see your face. Uh, at a minimum, I can see your name and see if you're on mute. And we only put each other on mute if the dog starts barking or a siren is outside or I'm crunching my lunch uh, or they're crunching their lunch. But then they come right back. I recently had a call with two of my team members and one of the topics was redundant to one of my members because my, one of my ops people was instructing me on how to do something with an ad. And the other person knows how to do this very well. Um, and we just acknowledged, hey, uh, you already know this stuff. Um, do you want to jump off the call? She goes, oh, no, because I want to make sure I'm here when you need me. So I'm just going to mute you and work on this, which was also for our work for the week. And then you guys just flag me when you need me. It worked perfectly. So she was still there. And if we needed her, she could chime in. And that way we didn't have to deal with the whole uh, popping in, popping out. But it was all very intentional and transparent. During the meeting, let everybody know that you are going to call on everyone. So then they'll be more alert, waiting for you to call. And you better make sure that you do it. Hey, John, I haven't heard from you. What do you think? I really value your opinion. And unless somebody is uh, more relevant to the conversation than others, make sure that everyone has about equal time to speak. It doesn't have to be exact, and it doesn't have to be all in one session, in one stream, but make sure everybody had about the same five minutes because you called on them and, or you stopped them because they were belaboring a point and you said, okay, I think what you're saying is X, Y, Z. I want to turn to someone we haven't heard from and involve them. If you start leading meetings like this, people will be more alert during your meetings and they will be more appreciative for you respectfully, kindly shutting someone down once they've had their say. One of the ways you can let people know and feel like they've had their say is to recognize emotions, recognize and perceived emotions, because we don't always know what somebody's feeling, but we can kind of guess. And we can say things like, it seems like this is really important to you. What matters most about this to you? Or, wow, that seems like it was really tough. 
This just helps people feel heard and seen, and then they can relax. For the skeptics in the room, if you don't recognize the skeptic then, the skeptic is going to go be a louder skeptic after the meeting. I love skeptics because they will ask the best questions, and I will get a chance to answer the question that's usually on everybody else's mind. So I'll say something like, I'm sensing some hesitation. What's on your mind? Or I'm sensing some skepticism, some healthy skepticism. Say more about that. Is that right? Or say more about that. And then ask open-ended questions versus the questions we usually ask, do, did, does questions. Those lead you nowhere, and they don't elicit the truth. They don't elicit emotions. If you don't ask open-ended questions, there will likely be a meeting after the meeting that you are not invited to, where people talk about what just happened. You don't want that to happen. So there's always going to be some kind of disagreement and misunderstanding. That's just the nature of our brains. So the more you ask open-ended questions, the less misunderstanding you will have. So let's look at this. Before the meeting, you can ask open-ended questions of yourself to assess whether you even need to have the meeting. Why am I having this meeting? What do I hope to accomplish? How do I hope to get there? And then during the meeting, you can ask questions to learn. What do you think is going on? What happened when you did that last time? You can also ask questions that help people think differently when they get stuck. Questions that expand their thinking. Like, okay, if we didn't have the financial limitation, or if we didn't have the technology limitation, what How would we do this then? Or what would you do if you were in charge and this was your decision? Or even, what have we not thought of yet? These are not leading questions. You don't necessarily have the answer. And even if you think you have the answer, if you ask these with curiosity, it will get people's brains to light up and to tap into their past experiences and their intuition. You can also ask questions at the end of the meeting to help people take action. Questions like, by when will you get that back to us? What could get in your way and how can you mitigate that? These are questions from my ALOHA model. And ALOHA stands for assess, learn, offer help, and action. And it is so rare that people ask open-ended questions in a meeting and it is so effective when it happens. Instead of asking, did you think of blank when you obviously are wondering about blank instead of opening their mind? Or do you think we should blank? Those are terrible questions. And it's so hard to ask open-ended questions that I would like you to cheat. I would like you to write some down in your notebook ahead of time or whatever you look at during your meeting and just read from your paper. Like, what else do you think we should do? What else is one of my favorite questions? And how can you tell is one of my favorite questions. Like, oh yeah, my meeting went really well. Oh, how can you tell? Um, actually, I don't, I don't know. Um, we ended on time. Or maybe they'll really have good reasons they can tell, and then I'll, I'll be informed and say, oh yeah, it does sound like that went well. You also want to ask questions to show that you are actually listening. So I like to think that there are three levels of listening. One is surface level which is very distracted listening. People are not going to convey much of their truth if they sense you are really distracted. And then there's snorkel listening. So surface is like you are on the surface of the water and you can barely see anything underneath. 
Snorkel is, okay, you're a little more curious. You're seeing a little bit more of what this person is thinking and feeling, but you're still asking leading questions. You're still talking more than they are and talking more than you need to. And then there's scuba listening. Now, scuba listening takes a lot of energy, and it'll eventually run out just like your tank of oxygen will run out. You can't listen like this at, at, the, um, at this depth for a very long time. But when you need to, listen at scuba, and you will ask open-ended questions, you will be patient, you will ask follow-up questions, you will recognize emotions, and you will notice that they talk much more than you, and you learn much more than you ever would at snorkel or surface level. Also, during the meeting, please be you, be your authentic self. We go back to comedy. There is no Steve Martin. Nobody can be Steve Martin. And if you uh, saw his uh, show with Martin Short, they are very good friends and they are very opposite personalities. So you got Steve Martin, the quiet introvert. Yes, really, he's quiet introvert. Um, playing the banjo, and then you've got Martin Short in a naked costume. So um, they play to each other's strengths. They don't try to emulate each other, and you cannot try and copy anybody else's meeting. You can copy somebody's meeting technique in terms of their agenda and their timing, but please be yourself, be authentic, and remember that influence and presence is all about the balance of strength and warmth. So you want to make sure that you are in command of the meeting and making sure that it's running on time, but you're also being relatable. They need to have confidence in you, but they also need to know that you're a human, you're struggling just like they do, and you can be trusted to empathize and not judge whenever they disagree with you. With my coaches that I train to do group coaching, we all have very different strengths. We're all certified coaches, but we help people get to that place in different ways. Now, what I ask is that people uh, respect the agenda that I have created because it works. But then when it comes to the coaching sessions, um, they need to make sure that they are bringing forth whatever their incredible talent is. So I have one person who does um, a presentation. And she brings in some really respectable, effective model. And they as a group decide what they want to learn that week. And then she brings something really cogent to help them learn that particular aspect of their job, whether it's executive presence or influence. I have another coach who is such a deep expert in Enneagram that she makes sure that in every meeting, she is connecting the dots back to their personality assessment. So they understand that their way of approaching something isn't everybody else's way. And in this way, they start to notice their habitual patterns, and they can make conscious decisions about what they want to do. For me, I think that my superpower is helping people notice their thoughts and shift them. So I am always looking for how we can use the STEER model to help somebody get unstuck and make progress and feel better before the end of our call. And I will tell people at the beginning of our call that depending on whose situation is the most thorny, the most difficult, and the most relatable to everybody else and would benefit everybody else, 
I will spend more time there. Now, if people don't have tremendously thorny issues, then everybody will get about equal airtime. But I've never had somebody complain if we end up spending more time on a really difficult situation that somebody is stuck about. It's usually something that everybody else can relate to and the session ends up being more helpful. But I don't do that unless I am intentional with them about it. Finally, I want you, well, almost finally, <laughs> I want you to respect people's brains and bodies. See, these are not machines. These are people who probably need caffeine. Uh, they need <laughs> calories. They have cravings. You can bring little dove dark chocolates. And the cool thing is, it's very small. Um, it's not bad for you because it has such a low sugar content. And it has a nice message on the inside. So you get this little serendipity when you open the wrapper too. If you're having a long meeting, it's not hard to play music. You just bring your iPhone and you bring a speaker and you can play jazz or blues or what, reggae or whatever people want to listen to during the breaks. Always try to get rooms that have natural light because when people have their physicality, their humanness respected, their nervous system respected, they're going to be able to pay attention better. You also want to make sure you give ample breaks at the right time. People need to get up, need to stretch, use the bathroom, get a snack, make a call. So let them know when the breaks are going to be and never have a meeting that's an hour and a half long without a break. After an hour and a half, you need to have a break. Never speak more than nine minutes. And in a meeting, there's no reason why you should have to speak more than nine minutes. Even if you're presenting, never speak more than nine minutes because that is the maximum time you can speak before you lose people. Then you have to ask questions. Nine minutes or earlier, you have to start engaging other people. At the end of the meeting, be clear about assignments, next steps. You do the wrap. Don't just say it, involve them. You can go around and say, okay, everybody, state what your action is and by when you're going to do it. What's your understanding of your action item? And then if you get done early, you meet the goals early and early. You will be a hero. No one bought a ticket to this meeting. They will applaud, though, if it achieves the goal faster than planned. And my friends, you know, I teach, well, we have a podcast on how to say no with grace, not guilt. If you see there's no agenda, or if you see there's an agenda, but this meeting in no way needs you, decline the meeting. And if we don't feel like we can decline the meeting, it is going to take a huge toll on us. I was talking with my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, about this topic, and she said something to the effect that, Mom, I can really imagine that people would feel like threatened, psychologically threatened, if they had to sit in a meeting they didn't belong in. I'm like, uh, well, you're brilliant. And if you've listened to my podcast about the safety model and psychological safety, the acronym is literally SAFETY, which stands for status. <laughs> now I have to go back and look at my notes. Uh, status, autonomy, fairness, esteem, trust, and you. So status, if your boss makes you go to a meeting or if you're the boss and you make people go to your meeting and they don't want to be or need to be in your meeting, you are creating a status threat. For me, I always felt an autonomy threat. If I was in a meeting and I knew I could be doing something more important than that meeting. Uh, fairness, if you don't need to be in the meeting and you could be doing something else, it's going to feel unfair to you and it might break the tea 
trust between you and the person who is leading the meeting. So this is about psychological safety as much as it is about productivity. And for me, one of the things I learned about myself working in corporate America was that I had this cynicism about meeting. And like I said, when we started, it was probably dripping off me and people could tell. And so I reframed. I also was more cognizant about declining meetings. But when I had to go to a meeting, I reframed it. Not that meetings are wastes of time. My new reframe was meetings are conversations and opportunities that can make or break work and relationships. And that helped me be more mindful of how I was showing up and behaving and thinking and relating in my meetings. So I hope this gave you some tips. I hope this gave you some validations. And I hope you can decline that next terrible meeting that was going to be a waste of your time. And I hope you can go rewrite an agenda or praise yourself, pat yourself on the back for your amazing agenda that you're having for your next meeting. All right. This has been fun for me. I hope it's been fun for you. (laughs) But only you can tell. All right. Take care, my friend, and have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to Work-Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work-Life Brilliance Academy, where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.